Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You're listening to Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Screen Heroes, your film and TV podcast on the Heroes Podcast Network. This is episode 231. I am your regular host, Derek, and I have with me my two lovely longtime co-hosts, Ryan. Hello. And Ray. Hello. And I brought along Grogu. (laughs) In a sense. In a sense, you have. Yeah, we've got our baby with us this evening. And so if you hear baby like noises it's Grogu. it's Grogu. either you're welcome or we're sorry one of the two depending <laughs> on how you're feeling about it yeah there's different categories you may fall into there so i don't want to you know pigeonhole anybody so yeah so this week what are we doing what are we talking about we are closing out our three weeks of merry cagemas with the film face off before that we've got some news we're going to cover in the entertainment industry and then we will close out this week by discussing the season two finale of the Mandalorian in all of its spoilery goodness. So that's Do we pause this for a second and say that you're on the Star Trek dude page and not the screen heroes page. I am on both pages. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure that we were good. (laughs) That's the one that popped up in my feed. And if it was wrong, I wanted to fix it before we got too deep into this. So normally I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Normally we live stream this just in our screen heroes forum group on Facebook, but I decided to do it on our public page. And it turns out that that's changed a bit since we've done it last and you can now cross post. So we are live on heroes podcast network on my star Trek dude page and on Dorico studios, which is the company that owns the heroes podcast network. So there you go. Okay. Sorry. And we're also in the group too, I think. So that's all the ways you can find us. If you want to watch us live, it is all on Facebook. That's how you have to watch us live, but there you go. That's it. All right, so news. Let's talk news. We've got uh, two main stories, I think, that we're going to cover. We have a third that we'll talk about during the Star Wars segment. The first being She-Hulk news. So we got some casting information about She-Hulk last week when Disney had its massive announcement of stuff. But we got a little bit more. And Ray, why don't you tell us what it is? Because I know you have a strong opinion. (laughs) have a strong opinion never Uh, so (laughs) she hulk is going to be a half hour legal comedy and it sounds like this is going to be more like the uh more recent 
comic lines than her early days that were done, uh, you know, late 70s and 80s. So uh, She-Hulk has had kind of a tumultuous run of comics. They're never quite as successful as the Hulk stuff, but she is a very interesting character. She will completely break the fourth wall and talk directly to the audience and she started doing this before Deadpool's just want to get that out there <laughs> uh, but she's also a prosecutor and she's been a bounty hunter and she's also you know she she's a lot of fun she has a big comic streak she's kind of a hoe sometimes like she is all about having a good time so she's a very different character for Tatiana Mosley to play Maisley, I don't know how you say her name I'm sorry Fair enough Brogu, sorry too. Ryan do you have any thoughts on the half hour legal comedy She-Hulk show I mean it's fine I don't it's uh, something different from the MCU so and, you know they like doing these genre things so uh, you know I think it'll be interesting I'm sure they will do fine with it I hope Matt Murdock shows up I mean, yeah, I hope that too, though the Daredevil we've had most recently, I think would be very out of place on a comedy series, but maybe they can make that work somehow. I mean, he would be out of place in Spider-Man 3 probably too. It's, I mean, he, he, it's so different than any other MCU property that it would be hard to fit it in somewhere, but the fans want it really badly. So I'm sure the uh, studio wants to give it to them in some way. And so they're going to have to find a way to make it work. That's fair. I does. I do want to know now how uh, Abomination is going to play a role in a show with that type of tone. A half hour legal comedy, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, because at least like you know, Hulk Banner is like that. He's in that middle ground now, right? Where he's the smart Hulk. But Abomination, I guess maybe he's smart Abomination. Is that a thing that happens? I don't think so. He did a lot right. of studying uh, in the raft while he was there. Is that where he's at? Something like that. I can't remember. Great internet access yeah. at the raft. Good Wi-Fi. Yeah. Google Fiber. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, so again, the other piece of news came out today and is kind of like it was small news that seems really big to me. MGM is looking to sell its entire film library and studio, which I would think would be massive news in the entertainment world. Uh, MGM owns a lot of stuff. James Bond, RoboCop, Candyman, the Rocky franchise, um, some of the Lord of the Rings stuff, not all of it, but some of it, like it's, it's a lot of stuff. So is this big news or am I crazy? I mean, it, it's kind of big news. It, I, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't know the extent of the stuff that they had. I, I get the feeling that maybe a streaming service taking it will be really good for whatever streaming service ends up, you know, getting all that uh, content. Uh, but it just means that for me, that Army of Darkness is going to change ownership yet again and <laughs> further complicate the uh, the distribution and everything else for the for the movie. But yeah, there's some good franchises there. So whoever gets it, hopefully they point. up their uh, library a little bit. Is there, is there a company either of you would prefer purchases MGM? I want Disney to stay the fuck away from it. Yeah, I probably wouldn't prefer them either. I just want it to be somebody that I already subscribed to so that yeah. I don't have to buy another subscription. Put it on <laughs> buy it, Netflix, buy them out. There we go. 
<laughs> like, don't get me wrong, Disney is doing a lot of good things with the properties they own, but it, it's just getting to be a lot. And if Disney has bought, you know, Marvel and Star Wars and Fox, and they already had some control of MGM at some point, and a lot of their properties, I, I just don't think that the whole Hollywood scene will stay you know disconnected it's gonna be a giant monopoly so if somebody's gonna do it I'd rather a smaller company like Paramount do it because they're they're still not as giant as some other ones well I mean Paramount is backed by Viacom so yeah I mean I'm not saying it's huge or it's not huge but you know viacom doesn't have their own theme parks that's true that is true though there is a star trek theme park in the country of jordan which yes viacom would own the rights to so there you go yeah i would like it to be warner brothers frankly so it would be part of hbo max i think tonally that's where most of this content would fit really well you know, if you look at just kind of this slate, like there's a, a coming soon.net article has got a lot of really good information on this. And they mentioned how there's over 4,000 titles and they include things like James Bond, Ro- uh, Rocky, Pink Panther, Candyman, Robocop, Stargate, Creed, uh, Tomb Raider, like a lot Army of this of stuff. Darkness. <laughs> Army of Darkness. <laughs> I think a lot of that would fit really well on HBO Max, which already has, you know, a leaning towards more adult level content. Yeah, I could see it fitting in there for sure. But I wouldn't like it wouldn't stand out in a bad way on something like Netflix either, who is pretty pretty small studio at this point. They're doing a lot of content, but it's not, you know, theater level content. And if they bought MGM, then they might get access to more uh, resources than what they had before, besides the streaming library. So very true. It's a good point. I I think that would be a good decision for Netflix at this stage. Did it say how much they're trying to shop it around for? I didn't see any figures like that. Uh, the market value is estimated at five and a half billion. Pricey. So, you know, it's not a small purchase. It's a lot of zeros. It's a lot, it's a lot of zeros. I would like some of those zeros. Yeah, they could throw <laughs> one our way. Just one. Uh, all right. Anything else on the MGM deal? No, sir. Or the prospect of one. Okay, cool. Well, then we're going to go ahead and take our first short break. And when we come back, we are celebrating Mary Cagemas with 1997's Face Off starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. We will be right back. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. All right, let's do this. Merry Cagemas to you all. This is our third and final week celebrating Merry Cagemas. We talked uh, three different Nicolas Cage films, including this week. Last week was Ghost Rider. And the week before that was another movie that I can't remember. Con Air. Con Air. Thank you. I, I wanted to say The Rock, which we talked about a couple of months ago, and I knew that which was we, not right. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did The Rock back when Sean Connery uh, passed away. So there you go. That's what, that's what we're doing. We're talking face-off. 1997 films got a 7.2 on IMDb. Financially, did pretty well. $80 million budget brought in $240 million, $241 million worldwide nearly a 50 50 split internationally and domestically i had never seen face off are you I, kidding me i had never had an opportunity to see it when what it came, it came out my mind I, is so blown right now <laughs> i thought you had seen it so neither yeah. of you guys had seen it correct oh my gosh okay this is gonna be glorious yeah this was the, this is the first nick cage movie i haven't seen in a really long time because i've watched not everything but i've watched a lot of his stuff it's pretty tough right. to watch everything. and this is john travolta too so uh, I mean, that's yes. a pretty big yeah in the 90s you know when john travolta was like really at his peak before battlefield know? earth before battlefield earth that's right that's right that's right that's what killed it <laughs> it didn't help it <laughs> didn't help any so this movie was really interesting for me because I had a lot of ideas of what it was, right? I'd seen the preview a thousand times. I'd seen the gifts. Right. You know, so I had ideas. I knew the, the general premise. They switch faces, right? But there were really some surprises in here in directions that they went on, on a lot of things. It's directed by John Woo. So you expect to see some doves. So they come pretty late in the movie though. Mexican standoffs. <laughs> You get to see that too. Lots of religious uh, symbolism, just like uh, Zack Snyder, you know? Yeah, they're both very different sides of that coin, aren't they? I mean, are they really? Because I feel like it's they both have these superficial movies that they, th- they feel like are much deeper. And so they throw religious symbolism in, in to make themselves feel like it's a deeper movie and have people talk about it. I don't disagree with that. But stylistically, yeah, they're very different. But they're both very visual directors, yeah. also. So I mean, I don't know. That's I don't think they're that different. But that's yeah, one is a lot true. more CG, and one's a lot more practical. But well, so okay, so this is your this is your spoiler warning for 1997's Face Off. There's one thing I just want to get out of the way right now because I thought it was hilarious, and I even had to roll it back to make sure that I saw what I thought I saw in the beginning of the movie. When the plane crashes in the hangar and there's the fight in the hangar, there's an extra who gets knocked around a bit. And he is told, not only does it like, does the movement look like he's on a wire? You can see the wire in both shots. And it's so early on in the movie for such a mistake to hold. It was really funny. I just had to throw it out there. Glad you got that out there. So Ray, I know you're not like really enjoying Mary Cagemas. But in the spirit of the season, I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak your mind about Face Off. You don't want me to do that. I do. I definitely do. 
That's why we have you on the show. It's so awful. I needed <laughs> it. Everything. I just. This has literally ripped out my soul. Okay. Okay. Do you think your soul will return at some point? She says she's shaking her head. No. I mean, maybe Wonder Woman eighty four this coming week will will rejuvenate something. I don't know. Wonder if Nick Cage shows up in it. <laughs> he, he's what's another god he could be <laughs> just show up at the end and he, it turns out he's actually some random god he's the green lantern there you go yeah i'd, I'd be fine with that <laughs> at this point i think i would take anybody as a green lantern i don't know that i have That's a fair. preference so okay i want to get a couple of, of things lined up here there's some stuff this movie does well honestly and there's some stuff this movie really doesn't do well one thing that it does really really well that is far creepier than I ever thought it was going to be and much more intense than I ever thought it was going to be is the actual face off process and the scene where caster Troy doesn't have a face that gross you out. It's so gross and it's so well done. You can hear in Nick cage his voice acting with that with like trying to talk like he doesn't have lips. I mean, that worked. And he's smoking a cigarette the whole time without yeah. lips. And it's just, it's really gross. I thought the laser scene looked really good. And the way they like, you know, they lift off the prosthetic. I, considering this is a 1997 movie. John Woo loves practical effects. And the, there are so many really great practical effects in this movie. So, but yes, that was a great, the whole time I was wa- watching that scene, I, I kept telling um, Marcy, my girlfriend that was watching with me that, um, I wanted one of the prosthetic faces floating in uh, as one of my props. I, if you don't know, I kind of collect some movie props. I wanted one of those faces floating in the vial for my prop room. Oh man, that would be great. It's that so would be gross. a good prop. <laughs> so gross. Yeah. You have that prop on, on like a shelf and then hanging from the ceiling is Sylvester Stallone in the goo from demolition. Man. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take those. I'm sure just studios call me up. I'll take them. But yeah, I, I just I just thought that scene was really well done. And I didn't I, in my head, I guess I didn't anticipate it happening like that. So the idea that, you know, Caster's in a coma and uh, Sean's going to go undercover. Travolta's character is going to go undercover as Caster. That all worked for me really well. I didn't realize that for some reason in my head, the swap was a conscious decision for both of them. Like they mm. were in on it together. It was like a decision made at the same time. It was non consensual for one of them. Yeah. And well, I mean, the whole thing's pretty non consensual too, since Caster takes Sean's face. Right. Right. And so that scene in the prison where Caster shows up as Sean, right. And Sean is, the, is there as a prisoner as Caster is a fantastic scene. It is. I love that scene. And those two actors, I, Personally, I think John Travolta did a better job pretending to be Nicolas Cage. Really? Yeah, I think he was awesome. I this this they role for Travolta great. was so good. It was so good. I felt it like cat like Nicolas Cage playing like guys. Yeah, so hard to explain who's <laughs> who sometimes in this movie when Nicolas Cage has to pretend to be John Travolta pretending to be Caster. It was fine. It was fine. Nicolas Cage is fine as that. But John Travolta pretending to be Nicolas Cage, pretending to be Sean, was really one of my favorite things that I've seen happen to a major actor. It was awesome. 
Wow. That was a, that was a mouthful. Yes. Did you follow that everybody? <laughs> Honestly, like I, I thought they both had some tremendous moments in this movie. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, and I've, I've mentioned this in our other reviews, like to like to poke fun at Nick Cage for, um, you know, whether they think he, you either think he's a good actor or you think he's a bad actor and there's like nothing in the middle. But, uh, you know, this movie for me really showed that he is a good actor and he deserves to be up in the higher ranks. I mean, the scene when he's, uh, when his wife is running the blood tests and, the, and, and he shows up at the hospital um, and he's like confessing everything and talking to, like, that was a really tough, like, I believed that. He started crying and getting emotional talking to her about the date uh the sesame seed and the chipped tooth um you know that was a really good scene for cage uh they both they both had moments in this where i was just yeah blown away i had this movie on vhs back when i was younger and i used i watched the crap out of it and and watching it as an adult there were things that definitely stood out to me as as really great or really terrible um that i didn't necessarily notice when i was a kid but yeah that scene especially stood out to me for nick cage Ray, was there anything that you could take away from the film that you want to talk about good or bad? Okay. So she's got some baby stuff going on. So we are going to just continue our conversation then, Ryan, until Ray is able to jump in. So Ray, you interrupt whenever you can. All right, cool. Thumbs up. All right. So some, some, some other things I liked in this movie. So the, the prison as horrible as it was, I thought was incredibly well done and like sold how horrible it was. Right. Some of it may not be the most practical thing in the world. Like the idea of the, the magnetic boots and everything logistically probably has some issues, you know, like how do the guys shower or anything like that? But the way the prison was designed, the idea that, you know, the guards kind of just let stuff happen you know, and then they can kind of lock things down. I thought was a really interesting way to handle things. Having it be on an oil derrick was also really shocking because, you know, it, it didn't occur to me at all that that was the case. Right. I assumed it was like in a desert somewhere or just, a, you know, a, what you would normally see out on the outside of a, of a prison in a movie. Right. right. Big walls with, you know, um, things like that. And then, you know, he gets out and it's like, it's actually on an oil derrick in the middle of nowhere. And that was a really cool kind of twist for me. And it reminded me of, um, and of course now I've, I've lost, lost the name of it, but there was a, a series of movies that had to do with like being in these like weird prisons. And one of them takes place in space and the guy's trying to escape the prison and he gets to what he thinks is like an access point and he opens it up and it's just a window to outer space. And it was a really cool twist. This had that same effect, even though the movie's, you know, 13 years old, it still surprised me. Yeah. Funny thing about those boots. They were the same boots that Goombas wore in the super Mario brothers movie. See, I thought they looked familiar, but I thought maybe I just saw it in promotional material. Nope, that's what it was. That's but yeah, awesome. that, that that was a really cool... There was a lot... John Woo, you know, there's things he does not do well, just like Zack Snyder and just like a lot of our other favorite directors. But setting up cool action scenes and filming cool action scenes in a time where not a lot of people were really doing cool and inventive action scenes, he nailed it. And The Prison was a good, a good example of that. Um you know it was that was a cool set piece overall and obviously i knew the twist because i've seen the movie before 
Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, when the scene you were talking about when, when uh, John Travolta comes in and talks to Nick Cage's character and uh, you know, the, the desperation, like e- even you as a viewer, I remember even when I was watching this as a kid, I was like, holy crap, man, can you imagine if this happened to you? Literally everybody that knew anything about this is gone. You're stuck in prison with somebody else's face with a bunch of people who who hate you. Uh, you know, the they, there was a lot of really well-used dramatic tension in this movie. And some of it was much grosser in terms of like sexual assault and things like that um, than other. Uh, but... Yeah, I think that uh, that that scene and the ensuing uh, stuff in the jail was a really good use of that kind of weird tension that you can only get in a situation like this. Well, and that scene is kind of mirrored later on in the film during the big shootout that happens at the at the the condo or the loft or whatever, where you they're standing on opposite sides of a mirror. Yeah. Right. So they're both looking at the person they hate because they're wearing that person's but face. But that is their person. Yeah. That, right. That's what that is them. And they're both pointed guns at each other's heads, but it's actually their own head in the mirror. Yeah. It's that's a cool. And again, that's something that John Woo does really well. I think it's a really cool scene, and it's a nice it's a nice juxtaposed to the first one back at the prison. I think because now now they're on equal footing, right? Because obviously in that first scene that's not the case right uh nicholas cage's character is is in a lot of trouble and is freaking out rightfully so yeah but at that scene in the second scene they're they're on equal footing at that point they both got their guns drawn they're both in, in the middle of this fight what have you some yeah. things they're like those two characters are good throughout most of the movie i have very very few complaints about those two characters it's the rest of the characters that make a lot of really weird decisions and say really weird stuff sometimes. And it starts with his, with, uh, with Nicholas Cage's escape. I'm just going to go with the actor names to avoid yeah, confusion that's the best way to do it. with Nicholas, Nicholas Cage's escape from the oil, the, from the, the oil rig prison. Yeah. When he jumps into the water, the guys in the helicopter who are supposed to stop this from happening, just assume he's dead. There's no body. Right. This dude just jumped off of off of this oil rig and clearly wants to escape. And they just are like, meh, I guess he died. And John Travolta's character is like, well, do you have a body? Right. That's the right question to ask, because like, why are you assuming this dude's dead? Especially when they think it's actually the real caster Troy, who's this incredibly dangerous terrorist. Yeah. Right. This isn't just the dude who like jacked a car or something. So, so when I say that John Woo is really good at setting up uh, cool action set pieces and just like kind of dramatic scenes, it he doesn't he isn't good at like the explaining of how they get to those scenes. He just, the people just kind of show up, and this happens several <laughs> times in the movie. Like the scene I was talking about earlier in the hospital, really, really wonderful scene. But like Nick Cage's character shows up in the hospital out of nowhere. He's standing like next to the wall. And says he's been waiting there for her, but somehow she's been running his blood tests and stuff like this without noticing that he's there. And I mean, I don't know. There was there were several scenes like that where the person just conveniently happened to be there, and you don't really know. You know, it's a it's not a place that they should be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's that happens several times in this movie. But that's a very good example of it is the the oil rig escape. 
Yeah, well, there's and to kind of follow that. There's also like when Nicolas Cage breaks into his own house later in the film, right. right? To convince his wife, like there's guards on the house. You'd think there'd be surveillance cameras or something like that, and he doesn't seem to have a problem getting in. We don't get to really see how he does it. He we just, just see like him walking outside, and then he's inside the house. And then not only is he inside, he's he's upstairs in he's the bedroom. Just, yeah, yeah, you know. And like, look, don't get me wrong. I know like the wife uh, Jamie doesn't or not Jamie, what, what was the wife's name? Um, I don't remember. Eve. Eve yeah. Jamie's the daughter. Eve, Eve doesn't scream, but like, I feel like they made enough noise for the cop who's down the stairs to hear her interacting with somebody. And maybe. To, I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch, but that scene is intense, by the way. Yeah, it is. Uh, his wife, that actress is very good and really Joanna, sold that yeah. scene. Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think I don't think you know it's just Nick Cage and John Travolta that were really great in this movie. There were some other people that were you know side characters, but they definitely made you know they they made the movie much more. I don't know uh, tense with their acting because they're good actors. So yeah, jo- Joan Allen does a really good job. She doesn't get a lot to work with, but she does a really good job with what she has. I. I would like to believe that I would be more suspicious if my spouse was replaced with a completely different person. Like I think for me, part of the problem is John Travolta's character does know Castor Troy because he's basically spent the last six years of his life hunting this man down for the murder of his son. But it doesn't necessarily follow the other way that Castor would know Sean as well. And they e- they know each other equally as well when they switch these spots and sink in- into each other's lives like almost seamlessly. And well, I mean, he doesn't know him that well. He did, like yeah, he he drives by the house the first time. The only reason he stops is because he sees yeah. his wife coming out. But so, I he, mean, there's some explanation that he doesn't know everything about. True, you know. but he knows he knows it well enough to convince both his wife and daughter who she's a teenager, she's basically an adult, you know, to convince both of them that he is this person when you'd think there'd be some weird, weird. There are bigger stretches in the movie. So that wasn't really a problem for me. I mean, if somebody showed up to my house looking exactly like my girlfriend and just acting a little different, I mean, people have off days, you know, there are all kinds of things. He was middle-aged. He could be like a middle-life crisis, you know, (laughs) any number of things to explain that. There's much more hard to believe things in this movie than that. So I'm fine with that. It never bothered me. I'm sorry that it bothered you, but. uh... It didn't bother me enough to ruin anything. It was just kind of there in my mind of like, I would hope that I would have figured it out sooner. You'd hope, you know, cause like jo- Joan Allen's care Eve is, is a doctor too. So it's not like, you know, she's, you know, uh, an average intelligence person, right? She's a legit doctor who, you know, is like on call in emergency rooms and is doing these blood tests and everything like that. So you'd think there'd be a little bit more and then kind of following that a little bit caster kills everybody involved with the face off project. Yeah. Right. But he still wants, uh, <laughs> he still wants his face back later in the movie. So my question would be like, who does he think's gonna do that? I mean, maybe he doesn't seem like the guy to really think ahead on stuff like that. It seemed like his brother was more the planner. Mm. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And so okay. he just is kind of a wild dog chasing a car and doesn't know what he's gonna do with it when he catches it. 
I mean, maybe, but earlier on in the movie, they show that not really to be the case because he understands the idea of like, well, you don't pay for the jet yet. Right. Because we don't want that to be traced to us. And he's tying his brother's shoe. Right. Like he, he's, he seems a little bit more on the ball. He's a total like short fuse nutcase, but he seems to be pretty. Yeah. He's not stupid by any means, you know? So, okay. Yeah. So what for you then was the less believable stuff in the movie? Or the well, more I mean, of a stretch. The whole like actual face off process. Like <laughs> well, you know, John Travolta's case is like a face is much thicker than Nicolas Cage's, but they somehow resolved that with just like this plastic face insert that goes underneath the face to reshape it. Um, you know, there's a lot related to that whole thing that was weird. And also, like, he had to tell his wife the blood types before she did the blood test. So why would if, if it was you're just trying to like get her to believe that it was you. Why would you just tell her the, you know, he could have just said, well, I may be blood type or whatever. And she would have believed it because she didn't know his blood type ahead of time. He had to say, I'm O blood type. He's a B. So test his blood. And if it's a B, then it's him. And you know, I'm telling the truth. You know what I mean? That I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was more for the audience benefit of explaining the different blood types rather than potentially, uh... you know, but I, I mean, basically I guess, all the gunplay yeah, being gunplay. effective at all is uh, it's got, it's a John Woo thing and I enjoy it, but it, it doesn't, you know, it's not very believable that anybody could shoot accurately doing any of the things that they were doing in this movie. So that's a big suspension of disbelief type thing. Okay. So with the actual face off process, that's like the whole conceit of the movie. So I just kind of like, put that aside I'm like right. we're assuming that works the right? actors really sell it they make it work <laughs> both of them do a good job they you do. know so so it doesn't it doesn't really pull you out of the movie except in the beginning when you're like how did they just slim up his face so much there's a lot of those issues right because you also have like when when caster becomes sean he doesn't have the scar on his chest and if he's sleeping with sean's wife you'd think she would notice that because it's like right well, you also there. think she would notice another a different penis I mean, yeah, there's that too. And there's different, like, you know, different body hairs and just, there's, there's no way like their shoe size is identical and everything too. Like you have to kind of just throw that aside for the rest of the movie, but for the gun stuff, I'm totally with you because both of them are the best shots in the world until they're shooting at each other then and then all, they yeah, can't hit any, but how cool are caster <laughs> Troy's guns though? The two pistols are cool. Those red, uh, those gold 1911s. Those are freaking cool looking. I've always loved those things and his suit that one he gets uh, like right in the beginning of the movie with like the red shirt is it uh. just very it oozes like John Woo, like coolness. I, this was this is something that really blew my mind watching it as an adult is that this was way before like john wick Yo, which is yeah what, oh, when yeah. you look now like john wick is like the definitive uh action movies right now you sure. know other movies that are coming out are doing very similar things to john wick you know like birds of prey and some of those but uh john wick right now is what this movie was back then i mean this this was a uh a guy that came out with the style of action movie mm -hmm. that people hadn't seen anything like before. And it's set up. You can see now looking back on this, all the things that this movie set up for John wick and a mm -hmm. lot of similar action movies, the gunplay, it's a lot less realistic <laughs> than John wick, but you can definitely see like some of the influences there. Um, and, and I really appreciate that watching this now, having seen some more modern action movies and seeing how far ahead of his time John Woo was with the way he was doing these things. Well, I think even a, a closer comparison is I think there's a lot 
to be said that was taken from this for Matrix. Matrix oh, was yeah, more definitely. technology, right? Because it had all the 360 bullet time camera tricks that they used. But the gunplay is very similar. Yeah, and uh, Matrix is only a couple years after. So. Yeah, 1999. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. And all of them are Keanu Reeves, you know, John Wick and Matrix. So That's true. Yeah. <laughs> he just really liked this movie, apparently. He's like, I want to get into every movie that uses this kind of uh, action scene. But no, yeah, when I was watching this movie, Matrix was in my head, too. There was a lot of scenes where I was like, okay, yeah, this is definitely an influence. Mm-hmm. So it is cool to see how this movie and uh you know some of john woo's other movies kind of set up the action movies for the future yeah i agree it's always cool to see an artist ahead of their time that like is and you can follow the influence you know what i mean yeah the the scene that kind of was a little too much for me for the gunplay stuff was the church scene because it's such a small church and there's like you know like five people they've all got their guns drawn everything they're right there and neither of the two main guys get shot yeah it's i mean he has a mexican standoff like that in every movie and so it's kind of a signature thing and he has to come up with a way to resolve it and this one was really great because every time you think that this there's enough people involved in this there's like another (laughs) it's like the ending of return of the king but like with with a standoff like every time you think there's not anybody any way anybody else could show up somebody else shows up with two guns pointed at two people and so it's this giant web of guns and, well, yeah, and John great. Travolta's character, his version of Castor Troy or whatever, um, he he kind of even almost gets a little meta about it because he even acknowledges how ridiculous oh, it's yeah. getting, you know, and like that part was all fine. It was just that like neither of them even get clipped. But tell me all. how great the like lead up into that was with the doves oh, and with uh, well, Nick Cage praying and like, you it's know, so over the top. So ending first, the picture of the kid it's like, it's so great at first I thought they were going to go a different route because you hadn't seen any doves in the movie yet. Right. But it cuts you to saw the some beach seagulls and you see the seagulls. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, you know, they're not doves, but they're white. Birds, they're white. Yeah. You know, so that's fine. You know, John decided to kind of just go a different route. Mix it up one. a little bit. And then the church has like 800 doves in it. <laughs> well, reason. if you notice the church has no doors, it's literally just curtains hanging over every opening. So doves can easily get in. You know, Where that's the how seagulls, they made it believable. Ryan? Where are the seagulls? That's a good point. <laughs> it was all doves in the church. They're very classist. Those, uh, those doves, they don't want any dirty seagulls joining them in the church. I did love the photo, right? Having the photo delivered to John Travolta was a baller move. Oh yeah. But it that scene definitely is like peak John Woo. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so good. Like the slow motion with the swinging of that like smoking thing for the funeral. Um, you know the the religious like music in the background. Um, yeah, it's oh, yeah. it's peak John Woo, and I loved it. In fact, the, the the movie did. I didn't. I did not like the boat scene. I thought it was too much, okay. too long. It was too Michael Bay in a but, movie that was doing its own thing. But in defense of the boat scene, the stunts in that scene were all practical. There were legit stunt people hanging off the sides of these boats. You could tell in the scene with the boat, like flying through the air onto the beach. Those were real stunt people jumping. Like this is all practically done. The, the, this movie should have gotten awards for the stunt work if it didn't, because I mean, so the, all the stunt work in this movie was practically done and it looks incredible and believable. Unfortunately, no, it was nominated for best effects. Um, 
comma sound editing that was one category at the Weird. time it did not win it won other awards it won um academy of science fiction fantasy and horror films awards for best director best writer it was nominated for a slew of awards for that stunt awards unfortunately haven't been given the respect that they really deserve because at the end of the day even now with cgi the way it is most of our favorite movies wouldn't look anything like they do without the stunt crews and i mean it's about time that those those actors get recognition they really deserve it well like 1977 when this movie came out they should have gotten recognition for it i mean when nick cage is hanging off the side of the boat and the boat's going like 40 miles an hour and you're seeing a real person hanging off holding a chain off the side of the boat like slamming into the boat slamming into the water that's some serious shit i didn't appreciate that growing up and watching this movie but as an adult i'm going holy crap man they really went for it whoever the stunt team was well, for the MTV Movie and TV Awards, it did win both Best On-Screen Duo for, for John and Nick, but it also won Best Action Sequence for the boat, tra- boat Chase. It was a good action sequence on its own. I think that this movie is so jam-packed with action sequences that I could easily see how somebody would be like, yeah, it was too much. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't, you know, I, I, I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy it as, as much as you potentially could have if the, if, if, you know it had been shorter or a little better edited but yeah uh, I, I just felt like it was a little much like the movie had done a really good job up into that point with all the action sequences and it just was a little much is all gotcha. the the final confrontation with them once once they crash and everything was good you know they're using the harpoon gun and everything and like that that was a good a good moment it was just a little much leading up to it, it just felt too michael bay did you like the uh the uh, crucifixion pose that he dies in that uh, John Travolta's character dies in. I didn't notice. Yeah, when he gets harpooned, his his hands are out like this, and his feet are together, just like a crucifixion. It's like it notice. was so on the nose. That's it's hilarious. like why is why are we making him Jesus? Like <laughs> of, of all things, that we're gonna make Caster Troy Jesus. Like, come on. I didn't know. I'm all for religious symbolism, but that making Superman Jesus, sure right like that makes sense but caster troy is a terrorist why are we giving him a jesus pose to die in that's really funny i i didn't notice that's a good oh, yeah. catch though it's a good yeah, eye. i didn't notice or i didn't know it when i was younger but yeah watching it now and seeing like the church scene where everything is like focused on jesus on the cross and everything else yeah it, it stood out like big time so bef- just I want, I want your opinion on this so before john woo was attached as the director two different actors were like intended for the roles and it was <laughs> it was arnold schwarzenegger i know who it was yeah and don't get me wrong travolta and cage did a phenomenal job in this but i'm a little sad we never got the schwarzenegger stallone face-off movie <laughs> I'm a little, little <laughs> sad about that, but like, really, do you think that would have been a good movie or better movie than this? Not at all. No. But I think I would watch <laughs> no. it once a year because of what the it only would have reason been. that this movie was good, in my opinion, and obviously Rachel didn't didn't think it was good, so not everybody's going to share this opinion. But the only reason the movie worked on any level was because of John Travolta, Nick Cage, and John Woo. Those are the only reasons it worked on any level. If you put any, if you take any of those pieces out, I don't think it works, unfortunately. 
Fair enough. I mean, obviously, a Schwarzenegger Stallone film would have been completely different. Yeah, and whoever directed. Yeah. I mean, it would have been well, a whole sure. different. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would think that it would have been more like twins, like like <laughs> action comedy rather than. Uh... See, no, I I saw it as like more of like having, like Demolition Man go up against like Terminator. No, but maybe like. Um, Oh my god! Uh, his predator character—I can't believe a Dutch. Dutch, thank you. Yeah. I mean, do you? Let's. Just, I'm going to ask this question to you legitimately. Do you think that either of those two actors in 1997 are good enough actors? <laughs> no. 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 It would have been ridiculous. It would have been unintentionally hilarious. But I don't think that. Yeah. It would, yeah, it would have been like one of those movies we look back on now and go, wow, this is so terrible that I love it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I think it would have been. Absolutely. I appreciate this movie for not being that. I mean, I watched <laughs> this movie, this, you know, for this, and I enjoyed it just as much as I did, if not more than I did when I was a younger man watching it on my little like VCR TV in my bedroom with a 13 inch screen. That's cute. It's one of Nick Cage's best acting roles, in my opinion. He really got to like go crazy at like when he was Caster Troy in the beginning. He was crazy, man. He really he went far, uh, you know, with the whole church, the whole priest scene with the oh. dancing and, and stuff like that, and the grabbing of the girl's butt. Like that was so creepy and nasty. And uh, he, he's a he's very good at being creepy. I think he we is, but then he was really agree. good at being dramatic too. You know, he did, he got to go on both extremes in this movie and he's got, he's said, I've watched some interviews with him. I know it's hard to believe, but uh, <laughs> he said that he would love to revisit the Caster Troy character again, because he had so much fun and didn't get to be Caster Troy for very long in the movie. Um, and I, I don't know how they would do that. Like make it a prequel and yeah. have him like swap hands with somebody or something. And I, don't, I don't know. Hands off. There you that go. wouldn't work for Caster Troy, but I like it. No, I mean, yeah, you could do a prequel, right. That leads up to why he wants, why he's supposed to be assa- like assassinating Sean. Yeah. And give some, give some context to like him and Sean Archer's relationship before, yeah. you know, Hell, the movie you, takes place. you could literally have the last, scene like the last shot in the film be right as he pulls the trigger yeah right yeah. and you know, you don't actually get to see the sun die you just know that leads into into face off i and just think that you get a whole movie of that mustache oh god <laughs> that mustache was really really something special oh man i would watch a whole movie of just that mustache and like the up close shots where you could like see the hairs moving when he when he was like breathing and, or taking a drink oh god those were some good shots. That was some John Woo there. I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What'd you think of the ear 3d printer as a, as a person who professionally does 3d printing? It's interesting now because 3d printing back then was not really a thing. Right. They were, you know, and the fact that the thought of 3d printing a body part was so far out there people couldn't even figure out, like if you said the words 3D printer to somebody, they'd have no idea what the fuck you were talking about. But you know, nowadays they're actually talking about they, they can do tissue uh, tissue printing and they have 3D printed, you know, meat patties that you can eat and things like that. So it's crazy that this movie was so ahead of its time. It was kind of like small soldiers where they had the yeah. the, the resin 3D printing, mm-hmm. which was something that nobody had any idea what that was, but they still showed that detail. 
um, in a movie that was way, you know, way older than the technology practically. But uh, yeah, it was, that was cool. I thought that was neat. I mean, back then, if you needed a new ear, you had to grow it on the back of a rat. You guys remember that? Oh yeah. 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 That's what you had to do. That would have been Fun cool. Stuff. Just growing Nicholas Cage's face on the back of like a mouse. Ooh, I'd want that prop. <laughs> the mouse with the nick cage face on it yeah oh man all right all right so, so you finally got watching this movie got context for all the memes yeah because yeah. there's a lot of memes from this there, movie. there are there are a lot a were lot they do you find do you think you will be using those more <laughs> because let's face it whenever nick cage comes up in a, in a facebook post or whatever the default gif for derek is the con air like hair breeze blowing <laughs> it's yeah. my favorite it, that that's you my think favorite. that might change Does i don't that know that based gif, on context that con air gif is my single favorite shot of nicholas cage as a human being so so, so, so none of the uh, caster troy stuff will ever top that not on a regular basis i mean i might use those now because i understand them better but at the end of the day if i just want a gorgeous Nicolas Cage. It's the Con Air gif. That's just the okay. way it goes. Fair enough. <laughs> I can definitely understand that. The hair is glorious. All right. So we got to switch over to the Mandalorian here because we have gone long on this segment of the podcast. So Ryan, any final remarks on Face Off? Um, I mean, if you haven't seen it and you like Nick Cage or John Travolta or really like... Uh, action movies in general i think this is definitely a worthy watch uh it doesn't feel as dated as it probably should uh in my opinion but yeah check it out if you haven't seen it and if you have seen it then you already know what we're talking about and how great it is so yeah talk to us about it on twitter because i'll chat nick cage all day (laughs) um ray i'm going to give you an opportunity here do you want to say anything about face off before we switch subjects oh my god never again Okay, that was so that Derek. Was you're right. gonna be watching it by yourself. We own it now because Conair and Face Off were so cheap to do purchase you, on DVD. Do you feel like you're gonna watch it again someday? Yes, definitely. Okay, so yeah. you liked it. Did it crack into your top five '90s action movies? I don't know about that. I'd have to sit down and make a list. But I really enjoyed it. And I thought they both did such a great job. And yep. there's parts of this movie that I think are really cool. The concept is still really original and really interesting. And the fact that nobody's really tried to rip it off is interesting and maybe implies that it's just a very complicated idea to try and put a movie around. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we are talking the Mandalorian season two finale. So this is your spoiler warning for the finale of the Mandalorian and anything associated with that. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. We're talking the Mandalorian season two finale and everything that happened with that. Um, all right, so a couple bits of, of news. I just want to get out of the way and make sure it's clear for everybody. The post credit scene that announced the Book of Boba Fett is officially its own dedicated Disney Plus series. It is not Mandalorian Season 3. Mandalorian Season 3 is happening. Pedro Pascal is attached to it, and it will begin filming after the Book of Boba Fett is done filming. So that is official news from Disney, from Jon Favreau, 
That's what's happening. The plan is for the Mandalorian essentially to build a small cinematic universe of Star Wars content with Boba Fett, the Rangers of the New Republic, and Ahsoka all existing within that time period of the Mandalorian. So those characters can cross over with each other. You can probably expect that to some extent. And the Book of Boba Fett is its own thing, not season three of the Mandalorian. Okay. Wanted to get that out of the way because there was a lot of confusion about that from a lot of people. So here we go. Mandalorian season finale. Who wants to start? You. Okay. So there's some good stuff in this episode. There's some bad stuff in this episode. I don't think it's an incredible episode. I think they tried some stuff that worked and I think they tried some stuff that didn't. Um, I liked yeah, I, I liked Gideon in this episode, right? Because we didn't get a lot of him before this. We knew obviously that he's powerful, that he's ruthless, right? Things like that. But this, we really got like monologues from him and we got some back and forth and we got to see his level of intelligence and his this, combat abilities, his combat abilities. The, the scene in the brig was a really, really good scene. And I was really floored when it looked like he was going to let mando walk away with grogu i was like really that just seems crazy to me and i'm glad they didn't actually go that route because we got to see him fight and we got to see you know got to see mando use the the beskar staff which i'm sure we all knew was coming at this point so that was really cool i really liked that part of the episode i thought that the dark troopers were pretty wasted with really the only exception being the one scene where uh, Mando has to fight the one dark trooper. Um, but otherwise I thought they were wasted. Okay. Do you disagree? Uh, I mean, they were, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of them, but I think that for this season, that probably would have been cramming too much into it. So I'm fine with them being used as a vehicle to show power levels of other characters which is essentially what they came out to be because you see Mando fighting one yeah, and basically just getting destroyed by it other than a lucky shot with the spear. <laughs> um, uh, the scene with the dark trooper just pounding and pounding and pounding his helmet into the ship was really cool. The best guard did not give, but the ship's hole started to give. Um, that was neat. I did think it's a little silly that apparently all they can do is punch people really hard. Uh, yeah, it seems like a huge slowly. waste of technology. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm sure they can do other things. It's just, that's what they came up with this season. But uh, you know, to, to see Mando who's a capable fighter um, and somebody we've seen fight a lot of times and defeat a lot of people uh, barely get by one. And then to see the Jedi show up and just start wasting them, you know, killing like a whole platoon of these things without any trouble um is just to use to show a, a power difference right and and it's made to have mando go well crap this guy is insanely <laughs> powerful i have no way of beating this guy um not that he wants to but in right. his head i'm sure tactically he's thinking that this is not going to be something that goes well that's fair yeah um the dark troopers the thing i didn't like about them was that they're basically as far as i could tell all cgi there's a there's a more CGI use in this than there has been in other episodes. There's a lot of the Dark Trooper CGI, and then there's some Grogu CGI too when he's moving around on the ground and he doesn't move like 
puppet Grogu does. That's mm -hmm. really hard to emulate in CGI. Yeah. And so it makes it stand out really poorly when, uh, when they end up having to use CGI Grogu. But yeah, I mean, they had those same issues with Yoda, you know, and that's why yeah, like absolutely. Yoda looked really good in the last Jedi. Right. But he looked, I don't know, just never quite right in the prequels when he was the CGI Yoda, it just didn't quite look right. Um, Cause it is, it's difficult. It's kind of like how in the dark crystal Netflix show, like it's almost all practical effects, but when they use CGI, it was a little more glaring because it has to balance off of right puppetry. And those things just don't mesh well. So often. we had a question in chat um, asking if the dark saber has similar abilities to the lightsabers. And if there's only one dark saber, I have, a lot of questions about the dark saber myself because the way it's framed at the end of the episode where Bo has to win it in battle, but in, I think it was rebels. She's just handed it at some point. It's, I don't understand. How can the sword know how it was won? Okay. So to answer the actual question, instead of going off on a tangent, <laughs> uh, the dark saber is implied. I haven't watched the cartoons that this is that this came from. As I understand it, the dark saber is extremely similar to a lightsaber, um, other than maybe the shape it hit, having a flatter blade uh, instead of the rounded blade of a lightsaber. Um, but it obviously generates a similar amount of heat to a lightsaber. You can see it superheating the Beskar staff. Um, is there only one dark saber? As far as we know, yes, there's only one dark saber, and whoever wields it in general is the leader of the Mandalorians. Um, or the Mandalore themselves. So um, take that for what it's worth. I'm not one that has watched the cartoons, so I don't know much about the Dark Saber. This is just based on uh, conversations I've had with people that know more than I do about those particular shows. But well, and the follow up to that in chat was like, is it a sentient thing? And like, that's my question, right? Like, the sword knows how the wheel. No, it's, a, of it's, it. it's not a sentient thing. It's it's an honor thing. So the so, so Mandalore won't follow Bo because she didn't win the sword. It's implied that for her to actually like become the leader of Mandalore with honor, the honor that that carries, she has to win the dark saber in combat. That's how the Mandalore is crowned. If he hands the dark saber to her, she hasn't won it in combat, and she won't have that honor. Even though there's like a small group of people that would know that. So then, it's, it, for her own knowledge, and I can't answer the question about rebels if that's what you're getting ready to no, ask. No, 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 it's not. That's it's a totally just, different question. That's that's not what I'm going to ask. I don't want to go down that route either. But it's more of like, so at this point, who who rules Mandalore then? Because clearly Din doesn't want to. Well, nobody really rules Mandalore because Mandalore is gone. But right, yes, the, yes, the leader of the Mandalorians at this point. I mean, I I would assume that all the Mandalorians now would be, you know, if it was. I don't know how man, many Mandalorians still believe in the old tradition of that. Um, it seems, it's implied that Bo and her little crew does, but the rest of the Mandalorians that we've seen, like, you know, the armor and that whole sect uh, that was with Din, they were extremists. They might not believe in the Darksaber. He didn't even know about the Darksaber. So, uh, you know, it's likely that it's not, not all Mandalorians are going to be like, well, you're our leader now, but you know, that's kind of what Bo wants, seems to want to bring back is that same, those same rule sets that she uh, kind of grew up into. Hmm. Yeah. I, that just didn't really, the, the, the end of the episode started to fall apart for me because you also have like Gideon 
gets the gun and shoots point blank range and hits Bo like three times, but she's fine. She has uh, Beskar armor, so I don't know why that's so hard to believe. That armor does not cover 100% of her body. And he knows the important parts. She she is standing totally fine with everybody else in that pretty shot at the end of the episode. So she wasn't even clipped. And I just find it unlikely that Gideon, of all people, would shoot his shot without knowing that he could shoot her in the knee or something. And at least shoot her in the knee wouldn't stop her. Neither would shooting her in the chest because she's wearing the armor that he knows she has. Maybe he's making a bet that it's not Beskar. I don't know. This is all writing stuff. It's, you know, yeah, I thought that was weird too. It also like really (laughs) never shows her getting up. So you're not sure if she's like dead or not until like the very last (laughs) second when she's standing with the rest of the group. So that was a little weird. That was. So instead of nitpicking this, this we we should talk about like what we think the future is going to kind of lead into with this show. Do you think Grogu is going to stay with Luke? We haven't really mentioned it, but yes, Luke and his kill box scene was awesome. We'll get that out of the way. I'm sure you don't agree, don't disagree with that, Derek. That was really cool, right? Until Not you see his CGI. face, yeah. Until yeah. you see his face, it's wonderful. Um, you know, when when the X wing shows up, I'm like, oh my god, they're actually doing Luke because I really didn't think they were gonna do Luke because I didn't think they'd be able to keep it under wraps that they had gotten Sebastian Stan to do it or something, and it never really occurred to me that they would just CGI Mark Hamill. Um, and think that the episode shows why i didn't think they were going to do that but when the x-wing shows up it's clearly going to be him and then you see the green saber and you're like oh okay well it's definitely luke now and that was really cool seeing r2 was cute seeing grogu and r2 kind of have a thing was cute because it implies that they might actually know each other which is very possible and so there's some cool fan theories that maybe r2 helped save grogu during the uh, order 66 and that's very possible. They were both alive during that time. That's a very real possibility. And that would be a cool piece of lore because R2 has been involved in a lot of serious stuff in the Star Wars universe. It, it kind of just gets glossed over because he doesn't speak anything we understand. Right. Um, so I think Grogu has to stay with Luke for some amount of time, not forever, of course. And even if he stays for 10 years to become you know, a Jedi. I mean, Luke only trained for like five with Yoda to become the Jedi Knight that he is in Return of the Jedi. So you would think Grogu spending five to 10 years with Luke would then go off and do his own thing. But five to 10 years for his species is probably not enough for him to be like able to be out on his own. That's unclear. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, we that. did have a question in chat about about is everyone's armor Beskar or just Din's? I don't think they've really like touched on that i know that like in before the mandalorian show uh boba fett's armor was not beskar it was durasteel which is still resistant to lightsabers but uh they it seems like they've kind of retconned that for the show and they haven't really outright said that uh that everybody has beskar but i would i would say that yeah there, somebody else in chat said that they're all different levels of like impurity and beskar and that's probably likely or durasteel if they're still using that in which they haven't really touched on that as far as i know in anything canon in a while so their their armor is as strong as the plot needs it to be yeah exactly <laughs> so do you think the show is going to go on without grogu and with mando with din yes i do okay I don't think they will do that. There's no fucking way that this cash cow they have of Grogu is going to be going away. I mean, Grogu can't just be there on episode one of season three after all of that. 
Oh, he's gonna be. Spoiler alert. <sighs> Come on. But that, I mean, like, there's that so makes gonna happen. Then what's the whole point of him even leaving with Luke? To have it give everybody a really cool thing to talk about for the next year. And to tune in to see what happens next year. But it's literally the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda show. So you 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 can't the show has nothing at this point. The main let's face it. The reason that everybody was talking about this show in season one was not because of how cool Mando was. It was because of Baby Yoda. That, and it's always been about Baby Yoda. Every bit of it. Grogu has been the main focus of the show and he's going to continue to be. I don't see there being any way that they go more than one or two episodes without Grogu in the next season. All right. Maybe they'll do a time skip. Then I was just going to say, then there should be a time jump involved. I, yeah. I don't want him to just show back up a week later. Okay. I want Grogu to have some time with Luke to have made the last two seasons worth it. I also think that it would be a much more interesting story to tell if Grogu does have some training mm-hmm. and can do something other than just waddle around or float around in the uh, bassinet. And eat um, eggs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think ha- him having some training and some level of control over his abilities. I do think it's adorable whenever he uses his abilities, he just falls asleep. So I think they should keep that. <laughs> like Luke can't train him for more than like 10 minutes at a time because he just falls asleep. <laughs> but uh I don't. Yeah, I, I I hope that he does get some training and some level of control over, over over some of his abilities, and maybe we'll get some cool new force abilities from it because he's a young child. He's just discovering this force, you know, yeah. world. So maybe he'll not have like filters like an adult or a teenager would have going into this world, having seen force powers be used. You know, well, and even Luke uses powers in the new trilogy that we didn't know before. So Luke could train his people on those abilities as well. Well, that force crush ability that luke uses on the dark trooper is not something that we've seen much of really at all not from a not from him right yeah we have we have seen it before but from him it's a it's a totally new thing i don't even have we yeah. seen it on a light side person before i'm trying to remember off the top of I don't my think, head i don't i don't know I'm it's not been sure. a while since i've watched all the movies but um it, that was a really cool scene and you know it shows that luke is clearly still you know training and discovering abilities so well yeah i mean it's been five years since return of the jedi so the idea that he's more powerful now and more in control of his abilities is the correct direction to go and so i'm glad that they were able to show that my concern with bringing grogu back too soon is that like we have a pretty emotional scene right din takes his helmet off grogu touches his face right there's this whole thing about how like nobody has touched as far as we know no living anything has touched his face since he was a child it's a big moment he's very sad it's very emotional if he just shows back up i think it just kind of pulls that punch a bit and i want there to be you know some some real consequences has a negative connotation but some real effects of them going their separate ways for some time I mean, we definitely, just because of the, the sequel trilogy, know that Grogu does not stay with Luke because we know that Kylo Ren goes and kills all Luke's students and, you know, tries to kill Luke and burns everything to the ground. So unless Kylo killed Grogu, which the internet would not stand for, um, the, we, know, we know he doesn't stay with Luke. Not forever, but there's, I mean, there's a good amount of time between when Grogu leaves with Luke and when Ben would be old enough to do that. But the amount of time is not very big for his species. So that's true. You know, it might be, what is it? 20 years. I don't remember when 
when uh, the Force Awakens takes place. It's, it's but, thirty or forty years after the old trilogy, which you know. This so is twenty-five five years difference between you know. So if Grogu trains for ten years with Luke and then leaves, he would have still missed all of that stuff. He'd still been a baby at that point. Probably. I mean, that's the thing. We don't we really don't know. know how it works. Yeah. We assume that, you know, if he's maybe at 50 years old, 10 years is not really going to make that much of a difference. But is, is it because he's 50 or is it because he's been like basically locked away and hiding since order 66? Yeah. It's hard to say. We don't know the yeah. biology of our physiology of the species, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that it's a, I, I do think the sequels may have, pigeonhole them a little bit on what they can do you know they can't and, have him keep going back to luke and right know. and like in chat chat mentioned that kylo didn't kill everybody he took some of the students with him and i i don't see grogu being a knight of yeah, ren i, I don't, just think don't see that happening. A knight of ren, but yes you're right i'm sorry i said that he killed everybody grogu is a knight of ren i mean does that mean he died in rise of skywalker then i don't know i don't even want to think about that i don't want to think about those movies <laughs> um so what where do you want it to go what do you want to see i'd like to see more of uh of din with the uh other group of mandalorians the bose group group. i don't know if they have a name but i i loved seeing their group tactics together the way they fight is totally different than than uh din and i would love to see kind of some of din's fighting abilities kind of translate over to them but then also their group fighting tactics transferring over to him and kind of like a shared knowledge um and i think that they have to kind of stay at the very least in contact because he's got the dark saber and she wants it and they're they're gonna have to resolve that somehow so i do want to say to your point about the way they fight the jetpack usage in the fight choreography in this show with her group specifically is awesome and some of the coolest use of jetpack i've ever seen in anything yeah that was great that scene with the bridge was awesome um and i i just i love that there's there's so it's so well thought out that you can see the difference in the fighting styles between you know them utilizing all these cool group tactics versus din just being a brawler Mm -hmm. um i love that so much the the action nerd in me is like eats up details like that so yeah it's just cool like we see characters that can fly all the time whether they're superheroes or they're in a mech suit or whatever but they don't tend to be particularly agile during the flight process but their armor is like you mentioned earlier it's much it's very small Mm -hmm. compared to their bodies so they definitely have more uh movement ability than even like din because his his is much more bulky and covers a lot more of his body than True. somebody like Bose. So, but it's just kind of, for me, it feels like the next evolution of what Favreau learned in Iron Man, you know, yeah. and he's just gotten better. Yeah. I squealed a couple of times with uh, some of the, the like when uh, Bobo and the, I don't remember the other woman's name. The, Fennec the, or uh, no, the, the, the Mandalorian, not Bo, the other one in there. Oh, group. the character Sasha plays. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, that fight scene between them and the usage of the jetpacks and even that small small space was really really cool so and cool. I enjoyed that thoroughly. Plus, seeing Boba, this revered character that didn't do shit in the original trilogy, um, getting his ass kicked was—I mean, they both <laughs> kicked each other's asses, so it wasn't like a straight up victory or anything. But seeing him get tossed around like that uh, was pretty cool. I really liked that scene. Yeah, that's another really good example of it. So it's just it's cool to see how far Favreau's come because I mean, 2008's Iron Man is still one of my favorite movies, and I, it's still probably my favorite MCU film. And he's just gotten better at that kind of thing. And 
considering how good he was, it's amazing to think that he just continues to improve. So. Absolutely. Um, so there is the Boba Fett thing. If you're ready to talk about that. Sure. We can talk about Boba. Okay. So there's a post credit scene, which was definitely a risky thing for Disney to do because I don't think most people were anticipating watching through the credits since none of the other episodes have had post credit scenes, but there is a post credit scene. Boba and Fennec show back up to Jabba's palace, which looked amazing. Looked incredible. Even the way it was shot with the lighting coming down the stairs kind of mirrored Luke's entrance into there where you can see the shadow before you see him coming down. It was really beautiful. It, it was, it was really, really cool. It's a, it's a quick scene. You know, they just come in and slaughter everybody who yeah. seeing fat bib Fortuna. I was like, damn, this guy, like everybody that sits on Jabba's throne, just like it's mandatory that they gain 150 pounds or something. I saw that. And I started having thoughts like, well, did Jabba look like that at some point? Then I was like, no, 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 that's not. Yeah. Was Jabba like super thin <laughs> when he got on that? Th- and then he just gained a bunch of weight. Well, it does connect to the original plan of Jabba being a person in the original yeah, trilogy. You yeah, no, so there you go. Uh, but how is he not dead? Why did he not blow up in the barge, Fortuna? I mean, I don't know. I don't think that's ever really explained, but, you know, he was always kind of cowardly and things like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if he jumped off, if he saw it coming and Mm. just landed in the sand or something like that. But uh, yeah, it was really cool seeing Bib again because, you know, we don't know what happened to him, but as soon as I saw him, I was like, Oh my God, that's that, <laughs> that's the dude. That's but the we dude. didn't see Salacious Crumb, which makes me very disappointed. And I'm worried that he got eaten by Tuscan Raiders or something. It's very possible. So yeah, yeah. so Boba takes over Jabba's throne. Uh, the Hutt family theoretically is still around and on other planets because they're pretty vast in the original, in the prequel trilogy. So we know that there are other huts and now Boba's taken over. I guess the idea is for him to take over Tatooine. The, yeah. Kind of the criminal underbelly of Tatooine. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's setting up. It's, it's a cool idea. Yeah. Do, I wonder why they're calling it the book of Boba. Do you think it's just going to be a limited one season shot? I don't know. I, I was wondering that myself. It, it, I think it's just to differentiate. They can't call it Boba Fett show or, or the Mandalorian because clearly that last one's taken, but I think it's just a way of naming it something different. Maybe they're going to like frame it as somebody telling the stories of Boba or something kind of like uh, princess bride where it's somebody like reading these old texts or something in the future. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of because they're, they're going to want to milk it as a cash cow. They're going to want to milk it as long as they can. Right. Well, you, like would, you would think so, you know, but that's, that's kind of like why I'm curious because all of the other star Wars shows are all named in kind of the same convention, you know, yeah. Ahsoka Rangers of the new Republic Lando, right. They're all named the same thing, you know, the, the acolyte. And then here you have the book of Boba, the, the book of Boba Fett. And it's just kind of out of left field. So unless Morrison's going to do that to kind of basically narrate the stories and they're more, you know, mythology than reality maybe that's why it just seems different yeah yeah it's i'm sure it's like a mini series or something like that and that's the real reason why i just want it to be something like it's an ancient text that they're reading in the future of star wars because i don't want everything to take place in this one time period that's my big complaint right now but yeah i think that that would be a cool way of doing it and something different you know because right now it looks like all the star wars shows are going to be the same kind of storytelling uh in the same time periods other than the acolyte you know so 
whatever. That would, I think that would be a cool way to go about it. But yeah, it's probably nothing that cool. I'm probably overthinking it. <laughs> that's fair. In chat, they're saying that it's, it's a four episode miniseries. I, I haven't read that myself. So if that's the case, that does explain kind of the, the plan so to speak, because originally season three of Mandalorian was slated for Christmas. Now that appears to not be locked anymore. So you could basically spend all of December with Boba Fett and then just start off the new year with Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that seems probably pretty likely. And, and I, you know what, I'm not the world's biggest Boba Fett fan. I found him kind of underwhelming other than the way he looks, he looked really cool in the, uh, old movies and even in, in this he's been much better but sure. uh you know so i'll watch it i'm not it's not my most anticipated show by any means but it's definitely a good way of warming up for season three of mandalorian if that's the way they do it that's fair is there anything else that you'd like to touch on no i think we covered most everything i do well i guess i do want to say that i loved in the luke kill box type scene that it was there was a lot of very like obvious um similarities to vader's scene in rogue one um you know the way he shows up in the fog with the lightsaber lighting up was extremely similar to vader showing up in that scene um you know him just going kill box style on all these droids it was very similar to the way darth vader did uh, even some of the shots were just like obvious homages to that scene. And I love that, you know, they're father and son. And I think that was a really cool uh, way of handling that. So shout out to whoever's decision that was probably Filoni or Favreau. I would imagine. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Uh, do you think we'll see more of Luke? Like for example, in the Ahsoka show, I, I, if it's going to look like it did in this, I hope not. <laughs> It's funny yeah. because you know the deep fake. I don't know how much how much you, of the deep fake videos you've watched on. I've seen YouTube a good number of them. Yeah, they've already taken that scene and made it better than what Disney did. So if yeah, if they aren't gonna like adopt some of these technologies that people in their basements, you know, on their computer can do, then I don't think they should be doing it. Bring Sebastian Stan in or don't do it at all. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I'm not sure why it looked as bad as it did because Disney has pulled off better. CGI of de-aging people already. Yeah. You know, and Kurt Russell, I mean, Kurt, Kurt Russell's a good example. Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Captain Marvel, yeah. you know, this and, was on, on par with Leia, I think from, no, I think it was uh, worse. Rebel. I think it was worse. I, they both looked equally bad to me. They looked fine. As soon as they open their mouth and start talking, then it just is completely ruined. In my well, opinion. yeah, that, when it when he talks it didn't match at all but he couldn't even move his head like at least tarkin could move and tarkin looked better than both of those i think you know but well the tarkin decision for me was weird because i thought the i can't remember his name the actor they got to play tarkin i thought actually looked better than the cgi model did and they should just let him be himself i thought it was a pretty good recast yeah um for cushing but yeah i just i don't know i I thought it was a really odd decision and if if luke's not gonna come back this is why I'm assuming he's coming back. If he wasn't going to come back, then you could have picked somebody else that would have been easier to look good. Like you could have just done Samuel L. Jackson and just confirmed that Mace Windu's alive. You wouldn't have had to do anything to him because it's basically real time aging from the prequel trilogy, you know, and been done with it. And then you never have to see him again, but you can confirm, well, he's alive. And if you ever want to use him, you can, but now you've used Luke. It didn't really look good, but why Luke, if you don't plan on using him again, 
Oh, I'm sure Disney will patch it and make it look better by mid-January. Yeah, that's so weird because they did patch the jeans guy out. Yeah, of, exactly. Uh, was it the siege? Uh, which is an interesting new precedent to to patch a TV show. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they did that based on how many memes that the uh, the weird Luke faces spawned. Yeah, I'm with you there. But I mean, I'm looking forward to next season, right? I still want to know what's going to happen. I want to know how Din handles things. I want to know what's going to happen with the freaking dark saber because it's left unresolved. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's it. That's it. It's all I got. I agree. All right. Well, Ray left us obviously uh, to, to, uh, to care for the baby. So her opinion is not in this episode <laughs> yep. um, we're just going to assume that she loved everything about the episode and there was no complaints <laughs> because that's usually what ray says is that she loves everything about everything and yeah, she i think yeah. she said that she loved face off too before she left uh that I it was heard... her favorite nick cage movie she's ever seen yeah exactly i was gonna say yeah so that's mm-hmm. great that yep. we're gonna put that on the boxes from now on that they saw face off it's gonna say best nick cage movie i've ever seen siren ray, ray heroes yep <laughs> Well, so next week we will be reviewing Wonder Woman 1984, which will be available starting Christmas Day on HBO Max. It's also be available in theaters if you live somewhere where that is a safe thing to do. We will be streaming it on HBO Max. So join us next week to talk Wonder Woman 1984, which is our first big blockbuster movie we've been able to talk about in quite some time. So I'm looking forward to that. You can join us live Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central on the Heroes Podcast Network page, the public page. That's what we're going to be doing now. Uh, Thank you to everybody who joined us in chat. We had some good conversation going on there. Really appreciate all of your thoughts and questions and comments. So thank you. If you didn't join us, join us next time or the time after that. You can. If you can't join us live and you want to listen to the show, you know, that's cool, too. We're available at heroespodcast.com and your podcast app of choice. You can follow us at Screen Heroes Pod on Twitter. And please join our Screen Heroes Podcast Forum on Facebook. We have tournaments, polls, news, memes, spoiler conversations, and all that kind of good stuff. So you can join us there on Facebook as well. You can find Ray at Siren Ray on Twitter. I am at the Star Trek dude as well. Ryan, what about you? Buster Props, hit me up. Let's talk Nick Cage. Let's do it. Thank you all for joining us. Merry Cagemas. We'll see you next week. <laughs>